This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are continuing our series today with the St. Louis Cardinals, an overall evaluation of their farm system. To do that, I am joined by my friend and colleague, Jeff Ponce, who took over the Cardinals for us, uh, I believe, two years ago, and once again, took care of ranking their entire farm system for us this year. Jeff, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, Kyle, uh, excited to be back on these podcasts. Absolutely. They're always fun to do. So Jeff, last year, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. The Cardinals went 71 and 91. It was their worst record in more than 30 years. It was their worst record since the 1990 season. And it was really just shocking and out of character to see this has been one of the most consistent organizations in baseball for a long time. That was only their second losing season since the year 2000. Again, it just was kind of shocking to see the Cardinals play this poorly and finish in last place in the NL Central behind even the Pirates. Given how poorly last year went, there's a lot of focus now on the future, what's ahead. And with that, an increased emphasis on what's in the farm system, what young talent do they have, some of it in the majors, but a lot still to come in the system. With that, how do you evaluate the Cardinals farm system overall? And really maybe the better question is, their young talent core overall, because Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, Lars Newpar, all those guys are a big part of it. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you can look, especially on the position side, and I think have a pretty optimistic view of what the future looks like. Um, you know, what seems like the the 10th consecutive year, it seems like they have a log jam in terms of talent in their outfield again. Um, and, you know, I think overall the lineup is pretty good. They had some periods where they struggled last year. Um, but I think if you really want to put the onus on why this team underperformed, it was pitching and defense. And there's still some defensive questions. I think with the addition of a player like Mason Wynn, who not an outstanding defender, um, but has such a loud tool in his arm that it does allow him to make other plays uh, in the infield that maybe other players can't. He's probably not penciled into the everyday uh, lineup at this point. Obviously, there could be some more moves and some shakeups uh, within the organization. But I think when you look at the young player core, they have a really good group. And then they even have some that are kind of coming into their prime. Uh, like you mentioned, Newt Barr, another player that I spoke with a few weeks ago. And Brendan Donovan um, is another example of that. And then some younger guys who've sort of come up over the last couple of years when you look at someone like a Nolan Gorman um, or a Jordan Walker. So the big question is the pitching. They've obviously gone out and signed um, a trio of free agents already in Sonny Gray, Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn. They were really aggressive in last year's trade deadline, which I think because they weren't in the mix for the first time in a long time, uh, was a bit of a departure from what they had previously done. I thought they did a good job of sort of fortifying the system from the standpoint of depth 
and a, a great deal of um, close to the majors players that could potentially contribute and giving some more overall major steps. And they did a good job of doing that on the pitching side and acquired one pitcher uh, that ranks within the top two in the system now. Um, and I think could be the a departure from, I've used that twice, but a departure from what we've come to know the the Cardinals pitching prospect as, which is somebody who throws 89 to 90 miles an hour, more than likely is left-handed and probably has pretty good command and control, but some question marks as to whether that stuff is really going to play at the major league level. That kind of sort of showed itself at the major league level last season, though it wasn't necessarily with young players, uh, though there were some in the mix. It was just an overall staff that lacked some punch and power. Um, and I think that they've improved that even within the free agent market, though I know there's been some questions and hand-wringing about some of their signings. Certainly Sonny Gray brings that dimension. So it's an interesting group because I think on the position side, you can look at it in a very rosy light that there are a lot of good players. There's some older vets there um, that are experienced. And then you have even more young players that are coming up. But on the pitching side, though they have some starter depth, you know, Sonny Gray was a great signing. There isn't a ton coming up from the sense of like guys who immediately are going to have an impact. Um, and I don't think when we look at Roby or, or Tink Hence that either of them are that Grayson Rodriguez, uh, that Andrew Painter or, you know, whoever it is that's going to come up, Bobby Miller is going to come right up, slot into a playoff rotation and, you know, be able to put up above average sort of production and execution in game at the major league level. Yeah, you raise a really important point there with the pitching staff. The Cardinals last year had only two starters with ERAs under 4-4. They had the second fewest strikeouts of any pitching staff in the major leagues ahead of only the Rockies. Opponents hit 273 off the Cardinals, which when you consider the major league average batting average was about 248. I mean, this Cardinals staff was just very hittable. That's There's no other way to say it. It was a very, very hittable staff. And that was compounded by a really poor outfield defense in particular. We saw them cycle a couple different players through center field. Jordan Walker showed a lot of problems with the bat. We saw that, especially at the end of the year, he was really clicking, but it was ugly, like just downright ugly. There's no way around it in the outfield last year. There certainly are some issues that need to be addressed because if you have a pitching staff that gives up a lot of contact and not a great defense behind them, you're going to get the kind of results the Cardinals got last year. And, and to your point, pitching and defense are really two areas of emphasis for this organization moving forward. You know, Lancelin and Kyle Gibson, they eat innings. They also give up a lot of contact. So there's going to need to be some defensive improvements made behind them. Sonny Gray, like you mentioned, was a great signing, was one of the best pitchers in the American League last year, certainly doesn't lack for stuff. Uh, but I do think it's notable that we've seen the Cardinals address this in free agency because you're right. When you look at this farm system, who's coming up, who we saw come up at the end of the year last year, Mason Wynn got a little bit of a cup of coffee. It's it's the position players are there, but they're probably going to have to go outside the system to get the pinching they need. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. For sure. They've done it. I mean, even, even acquiring players, and we won't talk about either of these guys today, but going and getting like a Semra Bursi uh, and an Adam Klofstein, um, you know, in that Jordan Hicks trade, they could have gone out and gotten position players or whatever, an older vet, whatever it was. They went and got out some guys that, hey, maybe they can be number five starters, right? Like there's an opportunity, both of these guys potentially give us something that we lack um, and have some interesting stuff. Uh, though Klofstein doesn't throw that hard, Bursi does a little bit. Just 
different types of pitchers than what you would have seen um, within the system and a departure from sort of that Michael McGreevy prototype. Absolutely. So Jeff, I want to dive into the farm system. As you mentioned, it is a position player heavy group. And that is true when you look at the young major league side as well. Again, Nolan Gorman took a step forward last year. There's still some more contact games you'd like to see, but got to the power in games, 27 homers, Jordan Walker, we've talked about, Lars Newbar, we've talked about a little bit. Mason Wynn is the top remaining prospect in this system. He came up last year, got 122 at-bats in the majors. So he doesn't qualify for prospect status by much, but he still is a prospect. Didn't hit a whole lot in his first major league stint. Again, that's fine. That's going to happen. The arm is special defensively. What does he ultimately project to be? Because the Cardinals a few times now have looked like they had a promising shortstop. You'll remember Ledmus Diaz was a, an all-star as a rookie, and then he kind of fell off a little bit. Paul DeYoung looked like a great find. He fell off quite a bit. What do they have here in Mason Wynn? Do they actually have their long-term shortstop? I think so. Um, I think the body's going to age better. Um, I think there's more projection that's remaining with Wynn. And I think when we get down to it in terms of bat-to-ball skills, um, Wynn really showed over the last two years, and especially in AAA after sort of a rough start over the last, the first month or so of the season, which I think happens to a lot of guys when they're playing, you know, um, well above their, their sort of age level. Um, the approach is pretty good. You know, he chases, but it's not completely out of control. He's aggressive when he needs to be. He's a good bat-to-ball guy. We started to see some of the power creep in more. And I think when you see Mason win, though he's not the biggest guy, he is about 5'11", you know, six feet, whatever he's listed at, fairly broad shoulders. Um, you know, I do think that there's more power projection to come. I never, I don't think he's going to be a 25, 30 home run type of guy, but a guy that hits 15 to 18 home runs can steal you in this environment, 30 plus bases and probably hit 270 to 280 in his peak years with decent on base percentages, maybe 350 to 360. I think that's a really good player. And he's the type of guy because of the, the twitch and, and his running ability um, at the top of a lineup like this could score a lot of runs and just be a consistent, more of a traditional number two style hitter that we don't see two hitters like that any longer. Maybe somebody at the top of the lineup, sort of a one hitter um, that gets on base, you know, can do a little damage when he's on base. And like I said, uh, can play the contact game as well. He'll use the whole field. You know, he's not some, he understands the type of hitter he is too. I think that's something that's kind of refreshing about when, is he's not somebody that is trying to sell out for like big pull side power and has altered his swing. Um, the adjustments that he made coming into 2022 and the improvements have, you know, continued to grow. He's gotten more synced. He's gotten more in tune and it's a nice rhythmic swing now. So, yeah, I think for me, I think this is a, you know, he may not be an, you know, an all-star every year. He's not going to be one of those guys, but I think because of some of the things that he could do, he could sneak into, you know, an occasional all-star sort of season but it will be in an above average regular that provides value on both sides of the ball. But, you know, his glove, for example, it's funny with win. the arm is huge. He doesn't have the best hands necessarily, but he does a really good job of keeping the ball in front of him and allowing his arm to make the play. So there's times that maybe he doesn't make as smooth of a play as you'll see with another more traditional shortstop. Um, but because of the strength of his arm and just how outlier it is, he's kind of learned to play around it and use it as a strength. So, uh, yeah, I think that he will, and I think that, honestly, he's an upgrade from what they've been doing there. And that's a big thing with this Cardinals lineup is they have players who can play strong defensively. It's a matter of having players in their actual natural positions. You know, we've seen 
Brendan Donovan, for example, play four or five different positions when if Brendan Donovan's a second baseman, he's probably an above average second baseman. And that's a pretty good, um, you know, double play combination with win. We know Arenado's still a strong defender. Paul Goschmidt's fine at first base still. Um, and in the outfield, how that sort of plays. You'd want to see Jordan Walker maybe make some growth or potentially be a DH long-term. But when you look at Nolan Gorman, now you have that conversation where you have two DHs. So some of it is like, it's there. It's just a matter of it's not their best offensive alignment. And there's some sort of clashing in terms of how the pieces fit together. There's some square pegs, I think. Um, And that's why I think they've been rumored as a team that could potentially make some deals this offseason. Yeah, I mean, we saw Tommy Edmond go out to center field, and Tommy Edmond's a really good player, can do a lot of different things. I don't think putting him in center field is what anyone has in mind. That you know, you really want him more in, in the middle infield somewhere. Um, but going back to Mason Wynn, you know, one of the things I think that's really encouraging is he has a two-way background and he has progressed very, very rapidly as a hitter. I remember talking to evaluators who saw him his first full season. And they came out of it saying he's going to end up a pitcher. This is very much Casey Kelly 2.0, where they're going to let him play short for a year. But, you know, it's just not there. The presence in the box, the ability to handle better stuff. You know, it's his arm that's special. He's going to be a pitcher. And he put in the work to get remarkably better. His year-over-year improvement from that first year uh, through 2022 when he got up to Springfield AA was really, really impressive. And we saw him build on that in the Fall League and then again at Memphis last year. Again, AAA, the ball flies a little bit, but you're still talking about a 21-year-old in AAA, solid slash line across the board, hit for power, stole bases. We've seen him continue to get better offensively, and I think you know just because he hit a buck 72 in his big league debut last year in his age 21 season, it's not indicative of anything. I, I do think that's one thing to be really optimistic about is just the gains he's made year over year offensively. And, and I, it's, again, there's more projection here, which is exciting. And even at the big league level, if you look at sort of some of the underlying numbers, the contact numbers are pretty good. He was keeping a good zone. It wasn't a high swing and strike rate. Um, so he was doing all sort of the right things where it was like, all right, it was similar to like Kyle Tucker in his first like taste of the big leagues where it was like, yeah, the numbers, the slash line doesn't look good, but he wasn't getting embarrassed out there. And that's really what it's about, right? You know, major league teams don't want to put out guys that are going to embarrass him. And he's not going to do that in the lineup. Absolutely. Jeff, Tikoa Roby is the top-ranked pitching prospect in the system. We mentioned him leading up to this. He was acquired in the deal for Jordan Montgomery from the Rangers. We've talked about the importance of pitching in this system and the caliber of arms this team needs to get back to being a competitor as usual. What do they have here in Tikoa Roby? Is it mid-rotation? Is it more? Is he more of a back-rotation arm? Because the role he's going to be able to fill for them is, is really important for this team's long-term health. Yeah. I think, you know, there's some risk here as there are with any pitchers. There's been some, some health stuff in the past. Um, but you know, if we can sort of avoid that, I, I did put a 60 extreme on them. Um, some of the health stuff that was there and just the inherent risk. Um, but when the stuff is there and just talking to coaches that work with Roby within the organization post-trade, um, folks that work with them out in the fall league, um, scouts that had Texas coverage. I had a few scouts that I was lucky enough that had um, some overlap and coverage for for Texas as, as well as the Cardinals. Um, so had some history with them as well. And I kept getting back consistent 60s from everybody that I spoke with. Um, and within the organization was this is the 
this is the best this is the best pitching prospect that's in the organization right now you know it's an above average fastball he has power it has good shape um he has command of his stuff when he's on um it's maybe one of the better true curveballs in the minor leagues it's a harder you know low low, uh, low 80s to, to high 70s with big depth and some tilt as well um, and he knows how to land it in the zone, which is rare with a lot of curveballs that that move like that. Um, and overall, I mean, it's still a, a, a very usable above average slider. He shows feel for a changeup. I even had some people that put above average grades on it. Um, so I think he's he was a guy and, and one scout who I, I trust quite a bit. And you know, we obviously have relationships with these folks. When I asked him, the first thing he said is, the industry is finally going to catch up on Roby. I think he's, I think he's been one of the more underrated pitching prospects that's been out there. Some of that I'm sure was the environments and just other names that were a little bit more flashy within the Rangers organization. But I think this is a good bit of, of, of uh, scouting by the Cardinals because they added Roby and they added another player in Thomas and JC that I know both of us have uh, a pretty high opinion of. I mean, you've been on the bandwagon for a long time. So yeah, I think this might be a guy who potentially can, contribute next season if he's fully healthy and he progresses i don't think there's a whole lot that he has to necessarily improve in memphis and we've seen more and more teams sort of skip the the triple a level with some of their best pitching prospects he adds another dimension to that pitching staff from what they have um you know it's someone that actually has some power and like a true secondary and can project to grow over the next couple of years so one question about Roby, when you look at it, he has not really excelled statistically in the minor leagues. Uh, had an ERA up near five at double A last year, went to the fall league, had an ERA up near six. His ERA was over four and a half in 2022. So there is a little bit of a disconnect between the stuff and the reports and the actual performance. What's the root of that disconnect and, and how fixable is it? I think some of it has been health. Um, other stuff has just been things that he's been working on. I think that there's probably a little bit over reliance on fastball usage. So the fastball gets hit a little bit more, um, you know, maybe throwing the slider a little bit more than he needs to leaning into some of that curveball usage, maybe using that change up a little bit more. Um, Cause the numbers against those pitches are pretty good. He seemed to have sort of a, a, a clear issue with throwing the fastball, maybe a little bit too much, which is something that we'll see in terms of usage stuff frequently. And I don't think he's he's necessarily had the easiest environments either. He pitched in the Texas League last year, you know, with both stops, and then you know, of course, goes to the Arizona Fall League, which is uh, not the best place to pitch. Certainly not Scott's <laughs> <Scottsdale. laughs> Yeah, I did notice you mentioned the 60 grade that was put on Takoa Roby with a higher risk factor. That is a higher overall grade than Mason Wynn. How much discussion was there for Roby to be the number one prospect over Mason Wynn? How clear cut was it? Because again, higher number on him, but also higher risk. Yeah, I think um, not a, a whole lot of discussion. He was always considered the clear number one um, pitching prospect. I think with Wynn, you know, you are looking at somebody who's been to the major leagues, um, does have some projection in addition to right now major league quality skills. Um, and just the nature of risky pitching prospects. I mean, if, if Roby, if Roby had produced and, you know, this was a guy we're talking about, even with a, you know, a, a high threes ERA over the last year and a lot of his stops, I think it would probably would have been a little bit more of a conversation. Um, at the end of the day, there is obviously a guy that isn't, that has the stuff there, has the present things and you're hearing it, you're seeing it, the numbers, you're hearing it from scouts that are seeing him and coaches who are working with him. It's like, 
if he's still not producing, there has to be some sort of mitigation. And I think that's what the, the risk rate does is a little bit is, is knocks off what he potentially can be. And I often look at this as there's sort of this range of outcomes that were almost kind of like fence sitting a little bit with like, this is what the ceiling is versus what might be a more realistic outcome when you deduct that risk rate off of him. And he's, you know, maybe more of a back end starter that can't get his command right and doesn't stay healthy. Yeah, there's obviously a wide range of outcomes with all these prospects. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of what the risk rate is to say, hey, there's potential for this, but very rarely does the player actually fulfill that potential, especially when you're talking about guys in the lower levels, pitchers in particular. It's just very, very, very fickle, the nature of pitching and injuries and everything that goes into it. So thank you for that breakdown. It was very insightful. And uh, Jeff, there's a lot of good prospects in the system. I still want to talk to you about more of them. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we're going to jump right back in. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the Baseball America Top 10 Cardinals Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce. All right, Jeff, we talked about Cardinals organization, where they are as a whole. We looked at Mason Wynn and Takoa Roby, their top two prospects before the break. It is noticeable that this system, in part because of some of the deadline trades they made, does have some good prospects depth-wise. It's not just a top-heavy system where there's a couple guys at the top and it falls off. There is a good collection of prospects here, which also 
follows the Cardinals MO. Two guys who had two of the best seasons in the minor leagues last year, Victor Scott and Thomas Sejaci. Uh, Victor Scott had 94 stolen bases. Thomas Sejaci was among the offensive leaders in virtually every category in the minor leagues last year. Huge performers, age appropriate for their levels, got to the upper levels. Both have some things they do uh, that are very, very impactful. Scott with his speed and JC just with his pure hitting ability. Realistically, what do these guys project to be in the majors? Because we see sometimes loud minor league numbers don't always translate to major league stardom. At the same time, these guys do have carrying tools. Yeah, and I think when you look at a player like Victor Scott, and I'll say this, they were there were some proponents of Scott as one in this system, um, which I think is sort of mind blowing. If we go back a year, this was a guy that was kind of teeter tottering onto the top 30. I had seen him in the Cape, you know, um, was really good defensively was kind of up and down at the plate. I had some, some question marks on the hit tool that really improved this year. And he's somebody who knows who he is and gets the most out of his profile. Um, Right in terms of hitting right-handed pitching, Scott's an above-average bat. He makes a lot of contact. He has good approach against right-handed pitching. Uh, he can hit for some power. It's a different type of swing. Left on left, he started to hit for some more power. Actually, he had a few home runs in the fall league against left-handed pitching. But during the year, a lot of it was go the other way, using his speed, using the contact, laying down. He's one of the best bunters that you'll see in the minor leagues. He's somebody that's that certainly understands the art of bunting, and he's – adept at sort of dropping the ball in that grassy area between the pitcher and the first baseman right before the corner. So it's just enough that the first baseman doesn't want to move forward. So like it's, it's, it's constantly sort of putting the, the, the defensive sort of uh, work from the pitcher and the infield uh, and, play, and he's an 80 runner and, you know, straight down the line, very few guys move faster than him um, just gets out of the gates really quick. And you know, moves well and sort of has a second gear even that he, he kicks into. He's one of the best runners that you'll see in the game. But he utilizes that. He utilizes that in the field. He utilizes that in terms of, you know, getting sort of those extra hits in the infield hits or on those bunt singles and moving runners along. Um, and then he's dangerous once he gets on. And it's the same thing in the outfield. He's, you know, this was a, a you know, Rawlings minor league gold glove winner was one of the best defensive outfielders uh, in the minor leagues. I, I've seen him play in college and then saw it again uh, in spring training quite a bit. And if you tuned into some of these games, uh, whether it was in high A or, or double A throughout the season, um, he's just a guy that stands out defensively, makes all the plays, you know, can close the gaps really quick, um, takes great routes on the ball, doesn't have a huge arm, but a good enough arm that it's going to play in center field without any questions. So he's the he's a sum of his parts kind of player that maybe isn't necessarily. I know that the steals were great, but he's not necessarily sexy to the the fantasy baseball sort of approach to prospecting, which we know is a bigger bigger part of this. But from a real life baseball standpoint, this is an up the middle player who is a plus plus defender um, that is sort of tailor made for the recent rule changes and this current run environment. This is another guy that could be at the top of a lineup and just wherever he is, he's going to be a spark plug. Um, and at worst, I think you're maybe looking at a long-term major leaguer that could be a, a Dave Roberts type that's a really good fourth outfielder and a valuable base runner. But I think that's really the, the floor. I think there's a lot more here. He's an everyday regular for me and maybe an above average one. And if the impact starts to come left on left, even if it's just fringy average sort of power, 
that's another dimension, another tool that he can sort of add. He's a really interesting player to watch. And I'll say in terms of writing reports so far this year, I'm through four top tens. I'm now into the top thirties. This has been the most exciting player to sort of dig into watching some of his highlights are really fun when he's beating guys down the first baseline in a bunt. And it's like, just in a flash, the, the movements that he has and some of the things he does, and then being able to see him maybe turn on a, on a fastball on the inside that someone just leaves over the heart of the plate and being able to do damage. There's not a lot of guys that have sort of that multidimensional game. And he's a different type of player and an athlete with skills, which is rare. Yeah, certainly one of the more exciting players in minors. And you mentioned all he does offensively, which is certainly really, really fun and dynamic. But defensively especially, we've talked about the Cardinals, their outfield defense, the issues they've had there, how many players they've had to cycle through. And if he can be that gold glove caliber, even just a plus defensive center fielder, even if he's not a 70 or 80, but just a, a good old 60, that's a great player and a huge upgrade. It's something the Cardinals need desperately. What's the timeline for Victor Scott to potentially get to the major leagues? You know, they had him up in double A last year. They sent him to the fall league. Um, so he's been on an accelerated route. I'll also say this. He had some extended time in spring training around the major league team and actually played in quite a few games in spring training and started because the Cardinals had like 12 to 14, 15 players that were at the WBC. So yeah. even late into the into the season, he was he actually didn't come back to minor league camp until a few days after I arrived and we had been at WBC and the WBC had been over for a couple of days. So um, he, he ended up getting some extended time there. It wouldn't shock me if he's up this year. And I typically don't like to put those sort of timelines on something, but you know, I think it's, it's like I said, there's a contact floor there. He can do a lot of things. I think you could put him as a nine hole hitter and he can sort of excel in that role without a lot of question marks. And he's the best defensive outfielder that they have in the organization. That's not to say that, Dylan Carlson is a bad defensive outfielder or Tyler O'Neill when he's healthy, but there's a chance they can move on from both of those guys. And I think that he gives them some depth there that they didn't have in the organization maybe two years ago, or maybe they had traded somebody, but that's another story <laughs> for another time, a whole other podcast on outfielders that the Cardinals have traded. Yeah, definitely a sore subject with uh, Randy Rosarena and Adolis Garcia having the postseasons they had and, and really just the, the careers they've had. Jeff, the other player that we mentioned kind of in this bucket is Thomas Sejaci. He was acquired along with Takoa Roby in the trade for Jordan Montgomery from the Rangers. Uh, he's someone that has never had the biggest, loudest tool set in the sense of he doesn't run like the wind. He doesn't have this cannon for an arm. He doesn't have enormous raw power, but he has always hit. He played some of the best high school baseball competition in the country in San Diego, North County, San Diego specifically was an MVP uh, in his league there and consistently hit really good pitching. Came up as a fifth-round pick by the Rangers, kind of a surprise pick. Uh, I had gotten alerted to him late in the draft process. Uh, it was the shortened 2020 year, and all he has done is hit at every level of minor league baseball. And last year, it's not an exaggeration to say he was one of the most prolific hitters in the minors. He led the minors with 170 hits and 294 total bases, finished tied for second in RBIs, tied for fifth in extra base hits. Anytime you lead the entire minor leagues and hits in total bases, you're doing something right. Hit for power, got 20-plus homers, drove in 100-plus, slash line across the board was excellent. He's just a guy who has a really, really good swing and can just flat-out hit. What does he project to be for the Cardinals? Because in some ways, he kind of fits the profile of what they've done well with. Maybe not the toolsiest guy, but he can hit and he can play. Yeah, you know, I think um, obviously we talked about the log jam at like second base already. 
Um, and we know that there's not going to be too much movement at third base, I don't think, in the foreseeable future. Um, so it's a matter of, like, where does Sejaci play? I think in a lot of organizations, this would be a guy where um, the fan base would be sort of, like, foaming at the mouth to have this guy, you know, up in the major leagues, uh, maybe breaking camp or up by, like, May or whatever it might be, you know, in that sort of window. He can hit. I don't think there's any question about that. It's a really good swing beyond even the numbers when you watch this guy hit you watch the at bats you understand it um as you yeah. said like it's not the bats of ball skill is actually really good i mean you know he's an above average uh contact guy makes a ton of contact in zone he's not scared to swing he's not somebody who's super passive he's going to be aggressive um will chase out of the zone i do think he just goes after hittable pitches though i think that it's you know, one of these profiles that maybe doesn't necessarily sh- jump off the pages for you in terms of looking at underlying data, but he hits the ball hard enough. He hits the ball at great angles, pretty consistently. So he gets, he's one ball. of the guys you have to watch play. If you're just looking at underlying yeah. data with him, you're going to miss it when you watch him play, which I think anyone who's listened knows that's more my thing. You're more of the underlying data guy. Although you, both, again, man. you, you a see a lot of players too, but <laughs> I, uh, I will definitely say this guy can hit. I, I know their data. There's data that might be red flags, but you watch the swing, you watch the approach, you watch the ability to f- identify hittable pitches and not miss them. He does all that. And that's going to play at higher levels. Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, uh, the scouts, the scouts call me a data guy and the data guys call me a scout. So, <laughs> in the middle but uh yeah i think I mean, everyone, I, every, I think yeah, everyone calls me the, the more uh the more eyes scouting guy. again you obviously dad is a big part of it you look at it but i i think no one has that uh there's no confusion on where i stand on that <laughs> sure yeah and i think it's just um it's not bad he doesn't have bad data it's more when you look at more advanced numbers you're starting to look at like sweet spot and like barrel rate to that nature he actually performs pretty highly and the same thing with like expected woba expected numbers um but just like on the big three in terms of contacts chase and like just raw power he doesn't jump off the pages like someone like an aaron judge would just a different type of hitter but i think that you know this all 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 this to say that he kind of fits into that sort of professional hitter great hitter sort of um bucket and he's going to get the most out of his ability he's going to get bigger and stronger i think there's going to be more power here um it's, you know, it's, you know, if you said that I'm light in terms of, you know, I have 55 hit on it, 50 power. If you told me he turns into a 60 hit 55 power guy in five years, I don't think it would shock me, you know, um, and be one of the better bat first sort of infielders in the game. That wouldn't shock me. You know, the, the hit, the hit tools there, he's played above his draft pedigree, as you mentioned, um, and still fairly young too. You know, this was a, a 2020 high school pick. He's not even rule five eligible yet. Yeah. Yeah. Again, certainly a really good player. I'll be curious to see how the Cardinals kind of address their second base log jam, you know, who they decide to keep, who they decide to move, who they decide Mm -hmm. to get more playing time to. It's, it's going to be something to watch for them moving forward. Jeff, we talked about, you know, Takoa Roby being the top pitching prospects in this system. You have Tink Hens, who has big stuff, still has to prove he can hold it over longer stretches. He, he made some strides in that department last year, still mm-hmm. a top five prospect in the system. The Cardinals had invested some first round picks recently in kind of that profile you talked about, guys who, you know, maybe threw a little softer, but had good control. You look at Cooper Jerpy, you look at Michael McGreevy. Um, Jerpy's the back of this top 10, McGreevy's not in it. You have Gordon Graceffo in here as well, another guy who 
was more of a, a control guy, showed some velocity gains, but um, I don't think anyone's going to confuse him for a, a true power pitcher in his future. What's the status of these guys? Because at various points they've been, whether it's been, you know, creeping up to the top 100, top draft pedigree, they, they've been names, but they are at the back of this system or, or in McGreevy's case, outside of this top 10. What's their assessment kind of now and, and how do you see them moving forward? Yeah, I think McGreevy's in a different bucket um, than these other two. Um, Jerpy was was injured this year, uh, had a couple of bad starts in the beginning, and then started to really get going, um, and then was hurt, and then you know got some time in Double A, and then pitched out of the out of the pen in the fall league. If you look at some of his performance, you watch some of his starts. He was missing bats with all three pitches, and he was missing bats in zone, uh, despite. The, the lack of fastball velocity, the fastball was still playing in, in, in um, high A as well as double A. I think it was just a matter of, you know, having the injury, things getting off a little bit off track and then having to make up some time. So it doesn't look necessarily as good as it might have had he kept rolling because uh, he was on a great stretch there uh, before he got hurt. I think it was on May 23rd. It was an elbow injury they went down with. You know, obviously that's sort of concerning. It's one of those things that's going to happen with pitching prospects. But uh, in terms of the performance and, and the fact that he still has, I think, at least three average pitches, can throw all of them for strikes, um, I think I still think that there is starting pitching upside here. Um, and then at worst, maybe he's a, a really unique sort of look left-hander out of the pen. Um, but I still think that they believe he's a starting pitching prospect. I think there's some people in the organization that maybe would have had him as high as six um, you know, above um, Ivan Herrera, who's been in the major leagues, and then this year's first-round pick in Chase Davis. Uh, you know, he's a lefty, still big body, you know, college uh, performer, and I think there is a little bit more stuff just from how unusual he is versus some of these other guys. McGreevy, McGreevy just hasn't performed and get hit, gets hit. The numbers have been okay in AAA, um, but I think it's just he's very limited in terms of what, the potential ceiling is a lot of people just look at him as more of an up and down sort of starter or number four, number five starter on a bad team and not on a playoff team, which is not what you want from a first round pick. Um, he's not a bad pitcher. He's a command guy. There's just nothing there that's really blowing anyone away. Jerpy still at least has the ability to miss bats at a high rate. Um, Graceffo, you know, things had trended up the right way for Graceffo. I think Graceffo could have been a guy that could have contributed this year uh, whether it was out of the bullpen or in the rotation, because he is an excellent strike thrower, like you mentioned. He had a right shoulder injury, his right shoulder inflammation. He missed two months with it. Um, just talking to some folks within the organization that have been around Gordon. Um, he, had, he hadn't had a high, an injury since I think he was a freshman or a sophomore in high school. He just never dealt with injury throughout his career. He kind of struggled with it when he came back, just in terms of like knowing how to like, ease himself back into stuff and, and that sort of routine thing. I, you know, I think we sometimes overlook that, you know, if it's been six or seven years and you've gone from a boy to a man <laughs> over this period of time, and you haven't dealt with any injuries as a pitcher, which is pretty rare, maybe that ramping up stuff and, and just, you know, not pushing yourself too hard in the rehab and doing the right things. That's all stuff that these guys got to learn. So I actually came out of this, feeling a little bit more optimistic about about Gordon Graceffo. I think he's a guy that, you know, maybe doesn't become, um, you know, a number three starter, but could be a number four, a number five starter, um, give you consistent innings uh, as he's done throughout his career up to that point with that injury. 
and just hope that the injury is a blip on the radar because um, he was trending in the right directions. It seems like the coaches, opposing scouts, those that have seen him and been around him and worked with him seem to have a pretty high, uh, uh, high opinion of his mentality and just approach to, to each start. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, I guess, him, him learning to deal with the, the rigors of pitching professionally, you know, pitching every five days. Yeah, look, those are things you have to learn, learning how to rehab, learning how to get yourself back into the swing of things at the right pace. That's not just something everyone naturally knows. You have to learn how to do it. So I'll definitely be curious to see how he comes out of this offseason through spring training and into next year as well. And as you mentioned, there was a chance he could have helped the Cardinals this past season. Obviously, the injury uh, kind of took that chance away, but maybe it'll, next year we'll see him make his debut and see what he's able to do. Jeff, when you put this top 10 together, how many guys would you say were in the mix for it? You know, how, how many other guys would you say were kind of on the fence here in consideration after your reporting? Uh, yeah, when we're looking at the the back ten, uh, you know, the back of this top ten, you know, there's a handful of names here. You know, I think like guys like Semmer Bursi, Cesar Prieto had a pretty good year. There's no one that jumps out. Like there was nothing uh, in terms of a decision at 10 where I really went back and forth. Um, this was pretty much the group. I think Roberti had a shot. Um, but when we look at a guy like, you know, Leo Bernal, for example, it's a young catcher with some hitting ability. You know, we know how rare that is to find, uh, especially in a real life list and a real life organization, they're going to value a guy like that really highly. Um, so yeah, it, it, there weren't a. It, it, I think it's 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 honestly now that I've gone into sort of the period of ranking eleven to thirty, this is an organization where eleven to thirty is a lot tougher than sort of like one to ten or one to eight, one to nine. I thought there was like a clear cut group here at the top, and then a lot more of like relievers, depth guys, utility infielders, outfielders, those sort of players that fit into that eleven to thirty group. Absolutely. All right, Jeff. So as we wrap up here, I think the question that all Cardinals fans want to know is, was this past season a one-year blip or are they facing a, a real kind of ramp down period here where they're going to go through some rough years and it might take a while before they're competitive again? And again, a big part of that is going to be who they sign in free agency, particularly on the pitching side. But when you look at this organization top to bottom, who they have, there's definitely been a turning of the page with Yadier Molina retiring after 2022, Adam Wainwright retiring after this past season. Some guys who have been staples of the Cardinals in previous years were traded, such as Jack Flaherty. Do you think when you look at the talent in this organization, top to bottom right now, they'll be able to bounce back up next year and kind of return to the Cardinals we are used to seeing? Or was this a sign of a, a little bit of a, of a decline phase that is going to continue before they bounce back up? You know, they've gone out into free agency and they have, they've been proactive in trying to acquire pitching. We said at the, at the jump at the top of this podcast that, you know, it was the pitching that really let them down more than the hitting. We talked about so many, so many hitters, how much depth they have. Yeah. I think they have to take some of that depth because they do have too much redundancy with players that are ready to play in the major leagues every day and trade a few of these guys out and acquire another another starter to fill in. They need six or seven major league quality starters, not counting, uh, you know, Roby or Hentz or some of these other guys, Robercy or, or Klofstein. You know, I think you can count Libertor within that group. They need another guy, and I think they probably need a, a legitimate number two or number three. Sonny Gray was a, was a step in the right direction. You've gotten the decent seasons in recent years out of Miles Nicholas. Um, 
I don't think we can bet on Steven Matz at this point to throw 160, 170 innings. He's not a guy that's going to break out and, and find another gear. It's not going to happen with Kyle Gibson. Um, you hope that Lance Lynn is maybe more 2022 Lance Lynn, but this is a player that's been on the decline for the last three years, and the signs have certainly been there. Um, so I think they have a lot of inning, innings eaters that's good to have. You know, if they could go out and sign, I know that their fan base has been saying this, go out and sign another name, get a guy like a Yomamatsu, acquire a Dylan Cease or another starter that's within that mold. That really changes the face of this team. And I think the rest of the bones are there. It's just a matter of supplementing that rotation with another fearsome starter or two, uh, you know, in the number two or number three spot or number sign Yamamoto. Maybe he's your number one. I think they need to be aggressive and go out and do this. It's been 15 years now since they've been really aggressive and the times that they've chosen to be aggressive, it's only been with players that they've overpaid that played for the Cardinals, uh, played for the Cubs before that, you know, in uh, Contreras and, and, and Dexter Fowler. I, I'd like to see them go out and get that starter. I mean, this dates back to when David Price was a free agent years ago and signed with the Red Sox. That's really where he probably should have signed in the long term, but they weren't willing to meet those demands. It's been a long-term thing with this organization. The fan base is is frustrated, and I think they paid the price last year. So we'll see if they learn their lesson and they go out and they add one more starter on top of these guys. Because if they add that starter, they add that Yamamoto, whoever it might be, they get seized, whoever it might be that's available, right? If you look at this rotation and you move everybody down a spot and all of a sudden Steven Matz is your number six starter with Matthew Liebertor as your number seven starter and a couple of young guys, you know, in the upper minors that can contribute that are on the 40 man roster. I think it looks a lot better on its face and you have the lineup to compete. So it's just a matter of the, the Cardinals making a few more moves. I think that they could be competitive again. This could be. You know, they could win the division again. It's just a matter of being as aggressive as some of the other teams in the division have been, like the Cubs, for example, who are in the mix for Otani and others. I, I will say they have been aggressive in trades. You look at acquiring Paul Goldschmidt, acquiring Nolan Arenado, and, and I think that's really the path here. We talk about, you know, what Yamamoto is going to cost given some of their outlays already. It might be out of their price range, but the trade pieces are there. And I think that's where I'm going to be looking for the Cardinals when you talk about you have guys like Nolan Gorman who are really, really talented, but probably an ill fit at second base. Brendan Donovan, we've talked about, really talented, playing out of position. They have a lot of talented offensive players. The pieces don't necessarily fit positionally. So I think, you know, clearing out some of that excess with who are good players that could potentially help bring back a really good starting pitcher in a trade. I think that's what, what I'm going to be looking for the Cardinals to do. I, I will say Steven Metz is better than number six starter. I think you're happy if he's your four, your five, but your overall point of you take the guys they have, you move them down a spot in the rotation and your rotation does look better. Again, they added Sonny Gray. That's a front of the rotation arm. If they can add one more, such as again, a Dylan Cease in a trade, they certainly have the pieces to pull off a trade like that. When you look at their young major leaguers and some of the infield glut they have in particular. So I'll be curious to see what they do. Um, but again, I think as much as they've made some trades that have left a lot of people frustrated, we talked about the Rosarena and Garcia moves a few years back. Um, this is still a team that has been competitive more often than not. They were in the postseason only a year ago, and there is some talent here. So I, I do agree that being aggressive, going and getting one or two more starting pitchers and, and using some of their young infielders in particular in trades to do that would probably be the best route. I concur. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, that'll do it for another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on 
Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you for listening. Have a good one. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.